0: Hello. Today is the final program in our series of Christ in the Old Testament. You're listening to Search for Truth, your program of Bible teaching and hymn singing, and I'm delighted to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in. Today the title of Brian's talk is The Sign of Jonah. But how does this Old Testament account refer to Christ? You may well ask. Well, Let's go to Brian now and hear his explanation from the Word of God. Thanks, John.
1: In the earliest recorded gospel preaching in the Bible book of the Acts, we find a strong emphasis on the Lord's resurrection. That preaching, of course, was done by the Lord's apostles. They'd accompanied him from Galilee, and it was to them that he'd visibly appeared, so that they could act as public witnesses of the fact of his resurrection. In doing so, They regularly quoted Old Testament scripture, and in particular, Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol; You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the way of life. However, when defining the Christian gospel, the Apostle Paul later wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Here we have set out the four key points of the Christian message of hope, that of Christ dying for our sins, his being buried, his rising from the dead, and finally his appearing in his resurrected body to witnesses. The third point mentioned The one about rising from the dead specifies the particular detail that he was raised on the third day. And it further adds that this was according to the scriptures. Now this is quite intriguing for the reason that it's hard to identify where exactly this is sourced from the Old Testament. Some suggested candidates have included the mention of a third day in the story of Abraham and Isaac as well as a general reference to God's dealings with Israel that includes the mention of raising up on the third day in Hosea 6 and 2. But it's better to allow the Lord himself to guide us to the one unlikely place that's the best, if not the only satisfying Old Testament indication that says Christ would be raised from the dead on the third day. I say that it's an unlikely place, because I'm not sure many of us would have dared to suggest the story Jesus referenced as providing a picture that anticipated his own death and resurrection. What was it? Well, it was the story of Jonah and the sea monster. Here's how Jesus introduced the topic. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea monster for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. That's the Lord quoted from Matthew 12, from verse 39. And so there we have it. The only sign Jesus was prepared to give them was the sign of Jonah. He was drawing an analogy between the duration of Jonah having been swallowed by the sea monster and being in its stomach for three days, and his own being in the heart of the earth for three days. That's amazing. I'd never have permitted myself to make that connection, but the Lord did, and that establishes it absolutely. So, the Lord refers here to Jonah, the runaway prophet, who was commissioned by God to preach among the enemies of God's people, Jonah's people. It doesn't take much imagination to realise how unpopular Jonah's mission would be back in Israel. Jonah is reluctant to go through with what he doubtless sees as a thankless task. That would be damaging to his own reputation. Jews, including Jonah, no doubt wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed, not converted. So Jonah doesn't want to enlist. Instead, he deserts, embarking on a ship, heading perhaps in almost the opposite direction. But God causes a storm to arise. And when all hope of saving the ship is lost, Jonah confesses to the crew why this has come about and directs them to throw him overboard as being the only solution to their troubles. Reluctantly, they do this, and the sea becomes calm. God, however, now sends a sea creature, perhaps a whale, to swallow the drowning Jonah as he sinks deep into the ocean's depths. You know, there are those who would pour ridicule or scorn upon this Bible story. More cautiously, some point out that God doesn't ask us to believe that a man swallowed a sea monster but only that a sea monster swallowed a man, and that all within God's providence. As we've seen, the Lord Jesus has endorsed this as an actual event, a factual history of special significance in witnessing to his own death and resurrection experience. It simply will not do to regard the Jonah story as a mere fable or fishy story crafted to carry a spiritual moral. Interestingly. The Jews never seem to have doubted its rightful place as part of the Bible, despite the fact they might have reason to doubt it. After all, this remarkable book is one of 17 prophetic books in the Bible, but it's the only one that doesn't mention Israel or Judah. Instead, it contains a message of the impending destruction of Nineveh, but ends with the conversion of these very same Assyrians. Not a popular topic for the Israelites. Jonah, like our Lord, was a prophet from Galilee, and one with a message for Gentiles as well as Jews. The book of Jonah is written in the third person, but can hardly be other than autobiographical in nature. Who else could have written of how his body survived three days in the stomach of the sea creature while he speaks of his soul in Sheol or Hades as if in some out of body experience? Jesus confirms this as a parallel of his own experience, willing to die for others, descending into Sheol, and then a bodily return to life and ministry. Only God could have later supplied Jonah with the time frame of his experience, the three days and nights that he spent in the stomach of the great sea creature. But it was this information that would become critical as the Lord would later use it to show his resurrection was fulfilling scripture. Let's recall what actually happened to Jonah. We read, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men became extremely afraid of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord designated a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the stomach of the fish, and he said, "I called out of my distress to the Lord, and He answered me." As Jonah one from verse fifteen. This is Jonah in prayer, when he's once again conscious in the creature's stomach before being spewed out, and he seems in prayer to be recalling his earlier distress call, where he could say, "I called for help from the depth of Sheol." You heard my voice, for you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current flowed around me. Jonah says here it was God who threw him into the sea, whereas we are told earlier that the sailors did this at Jonah's request. This seems to suggest Jonah was already repentant before he entered the water. He tells us his soul called on God from the depth of Sheol. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The deep flowed around me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you brought up my life from the pit. Lord, my God. Again, Jonas chapter two, verse three to six. These words of Jonah You have brought up my life from corruption or from the pit. Remind us of the Lord's own experience described in advance by David in Psalm 16 verse 10. Was Jonah poetically describing his underwater prison as being the very underworld itself? Or was Jonah in Sheol in an out-of-body experience? When our Lord's body lay in the tomb, he described himself as being in the heart of the earth. Was this also Jonah's way of describing his soul being in Sheol, the Old Testament term for the underworld, into which those departing this life were said to descend or go down to? We know the Lord's soul went there. Jonah says, While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who are followers of worthless idols Abandon their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. That's Jonah 2, 7 to 10. Jonah was finally ready to bow to God's will. But our Lord, who fulfilled the sign of Jonah, was someone who always bowed to God's will. He was never rebellious, nor turned away backward. And most importantly, he was raised from the dead on the third day. Praise his name.
0: As I mentioned last week, if you obtain the transcript book of all thirteen talks in this series, it'll help your own studies into this profitable study of Christ in the Old Testament. This book's available online, and either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churches of god dot info forward slash media, or you can request a hard copy book by asking for the title, Christ in the Old Testament. And don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton-Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may also be interested to know that if you go to the website I mentioned earlier at churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air, that is by audio, podcast or MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy. Now I've been delighted today to enjoy the pleasure of your company. So thanks for giving us your time to be with us And I hope you found the series interesting and profitable if you've been following during the last few months. I'd love you to join us again next time for the start of a brand new series, which I'll tell you about next week. So until next time, then, it's goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings.